power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. Fellow delegates, this last week, we've seen what humans can be at their worst. But we cannot, we must not, use that as an excuse to end the dream that began here. For then, the demons of our past will have won. Instead, I want to look to the future and begin by honoring the people responsible for our being here tonight. They represent all of us at our best. Up until about a hundred years ago, there was one question that burned in every human that made us study the stars and dream of traveling to them. Are we alone? Our generation is privileged to know the answer to that question. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. Yet, the more I've experienced, the more I've learned that no matter how far we travel, or how fast we get there. The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us, woven into the threads that bind us, all of us, to each other. Final frontier begins in this hall. Let's explore it together. of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The Legend of Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. A mighty tech show, loved by anarchists, feared by authoritarians. As Sovereign Tech's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a union of egoists was formed. Together with the open source, retro gaming, and liberty-loving communities, they maintain peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Sovereign Tech was needed once more. This is the podcast of super host Dr. Brian Sovereign. Specially trained and sent out into the galaxy to bring back Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. 
You wanted some of the best in podcasting today. What the hell am I talking about? You wanted the best in podcasting today, and that's why you're here. With me, Dr. Brian, smarter than your ass, Sovereign, the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R, Radio Star, the man that some call the most dangerous person in the world today. And what do we got lined up for this episode of Sovereign Tech? A lot. A lot of things to get into. You know, it's a funny thing. It's actually, I, I've been um, just in, well, I'll say for research purposes. How about that? For research purposes. I was, uh, I was going back, you know, and, and, and back to the old back catalog, not of Sovereign Tech, but of shows that I've listened to over amazingly, you know, over a decade now. You know, uh, I didn't really get into, I mean, real quick about me. So like the first, okay, no, this isn't true. The very first podcast I ever listened to was before podcasts. And I don't, I fuck, I think even the iPod might not have even been a thing yet. Uh, the very first podcast I ever listened to was digital llama radio. I've talked about this a lot. It was a, a kind of a star Wars slash geek show. Um, but this was from again, like, you know, nobody else was doing this shit. This was way before, I mean, think of like the earliest podcast you can think of. And I guarantee you digital llama radio was before that with Chris Hannell. Amazing. Um, not, <laughs> not the first person with the last name Hannell that would, uh, uh, or, or with the, the initial C Hannell that would, um, uh, change my life in many ways, but that's besides the point. Um, anyway, you know, I wouldn't really get into what would be more traditionally known as podcasts. Uh, because you know, they were named after the iPod. Um, and if you remember like the original, like the iPod classic, of course, at the time it was just the sixth gen iPod. But if you remember the iPod classic actually had a feature like, uh, I mean, it's a software feature, but it was built into that specific hardware, right? Because it didn't really have apps where you could speed up how fast you could listen to, um, you know, audio files that you put on there. That, that, I mean, that was game changing shit you know, in whatever that was, 2009, 2010, but the first podcast I, and it was actually, I mean, of course it was also a national radio show, but that shows how far ahead of the game they were. First podcast I ever listened to was free talk live. Um, and in fact, it's still mind blowing to me to this day in 2022 that, you know, just come a year or two later that I would end up becoming a, uh, a first chair host as in running the show, I would be a first chair host on free talk live, you know, just a couple of years after that, that still blows my mind to the state that that, 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 that happened, you know, like, like you're, you're just kind of fanboying out, you know, in like 2009, 2010, whatever. And, you know, and then 2011, and then, you know, I moved to New Hampshire in 2011 and then Holy shit, you know, <laughs> a few months later, Hey, you want to be on the show? Yeah, sure. And then, you know, a few months after that, Hey, you want to try first share? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, anyway, actually, I, sp- I suppose it might've been like, like a year later that that happened, but regardless, um, you know, it wasn't long after that where like I got my first Android phone and, uh, cause again, I initially, I started listening to podcasts on an actual iPod, right. Um, but then I ended up getting an Android phone. 
And then, you know, you download a podcast app and holy shit, you know, your world blows up and you go, wait a minute, there's like more of these, <laughs> like there's a ton of these fucking things. And, you know, then, then you find the twit network. And of course, you know, somebody who had been watching tech TV, uh, which would later become G4, you know, tech TV, his, his whole life. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're going to go hang out with Leo Laporte and then you see like friendly faces like Steve Gibson and whatever else. And of course, to this day, Steve Gibson, you know, still has, in my opinion, the single greatest podcast on the planet. Like, I mean, just bar none, you know, it is, if cosmos is the reason for TV to exist. And I firmly stand by that statement. And if cosmos is the greatest thing that the medium that is television has ever produced. And I stand by that statement. Um, then security now is like the reason that podcasts exist. And it's still like the best thing that the podcast world has ever produced just flat out. And I mean, let's just be clear about this. Steve Gibson is a fucking planetary treasure. You know, people say national treasure. No, no planetary treasure. Okay. And, and it, this kind of proves the point that I wanted to make in the opening here. Um, cause I was going back and listening to like podcasts that really I haven't listened to in a few years, but are impressively, and I'll give them this impressively. They're still around, but I was just kind of going through like, like, what's it like right now? What, what's the, <laughs> what's the old, what's the old, uh, uh, podcast stomping grounds, you know, sounding like these days. And I got to tell you, it's not good. It's, it's not good. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, even on the same network that security now is on, like things have just completely gone off the rails and I like, I, you know, and, and, and some other shows, I mean, by people who are genuinely talented people, uh, I was blown away to find out like even, uh, again, I just kind of started recently picking up on some of this stuff, uh, blown away to find out, you know, windows weekly hit their 900th episode and, uh, Mary Jo Foley left, which I mean, congrats to her for getting whatever work that she's happy to, to go and do. But, uh, like, oh, she was, you know, she was awesome. Um, I mean, and hilarious too, right? Like how, how many of us just say Hadoop <laughs> every now and then, you know, and it's solely because of her just hilarious. But I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I don't like, do these people, I mean, is everybody just getting old? I mean, Hey, I am too, I guess. I mean, I don't feel it. I feel fucking amazing, but like, you know, what, 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 what's the deal? I mean, but that's the problem. Like you can't just say it's people getting old. Cause somehow Steve Gibson is still interesting as fuck, still as educational as fuck and still like explaining things, you know, however, well, I, well, I don't think it's 20 years, but what 16, 17, 18 years, however long they've been going. Um, you know, and still taking all of us to school, you know, and the guy's almost 70, like it can't be that, you know, it can't just be that, like that, that people are getting old or what is it just that is it defeatist in the tech space? I mean, granted, I also went to go and listen to, you know, podcasts outside of the tech world, um, you know, just to kind of get a feel, but yeah, everybody or not everybody, obviously, but many of the, the stalwarts in podcasting, honestly, they just sound really tired. And these are people who, as far as I know, you know, it's not like they're in dire financial situations. It's not like they're, 
you know, and if they were, I mean, I can empathize with them, you know, but if they were like, you think they'd be trying twice as hard. Um, I, I don't get it. I, I don't know. Like, like everybody just, just sounds very bored or they're doing like these weird, hard pivots, you know, like now you've got, you know, capitalists that are communists, anarchists that are voting. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's, it's all, it's all very odd out there. Now. I mean, you know, people evolve. Sure. Like the, the, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that happens. People are presented with, you know, new research, new, new information or whatever. And maybe they go through some kind of change. Some people go fucking nuts with that kind of change. Um, but I, you know, I just, I listen to this and I go, wow, like, you know, it, it feels like a case where, you know, you, you think of the, the great musician, you know, who really had their time in the sun and it's like, okay, you're, you're done. You're done. Don't stay too long to the party. You're done. And I feel like a lot of people are just way too long to the party. Like, I, I wonder, you know, what, what gives someone like real staying power? You know, what is it? What's the magic that lets somebody do a podcast for, you know, 10 years or more? And, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with taking a little break or, you know, changing things up a bit. But like some of this stuff is just fuck. It, it's so stale. And, you know, some of these people you consider like, uh, you know, kind of kind of standards of quality. And it's just not there anymore. <laughs> you know, and it's not like, I mean, and I made sure to go back and listen. I'm like, Oh, is it just like the past month? No, like I, I interspersed it and it's been going on for like two, three years. And Hey, you know what? The coof fucked up a lot of shit. Let's all be clear on that. And I want to empathize with that too. And is that what changed everything up? Did everybody just get beaten down? Uh, you know, from that maybe, but anyway, all of that said, Something I've noticed, but don't you worry because Sovereign Tech is here, baby, and I still have all the energy of a nuclear power plant ready to go even 10, over 10 years later uh, since I had started this show. You know, look, all right, real quick, you might, you might be wondering, like, why am I even talking about this? Why am I bringing this up? Well, partly it's because podcasting is one of the last bastions of truth or the ability anyway, and not saying the truth is out there, uh, no X-Files quotes, not saying that the truth is, you know, inherently out there on podcasting. I'm just saying that it's one of the last places where you can get it out at scale. Um, I mean, it, it just, there are very few, you know, outside of like books and maybe if you're still saucy enough to do magazines or like email newsletters or something, it's just, there, there are becoming less and less platforms where you can reach out to a lot of people at once, um, you know, and not be censored. And ultimately this is one of them, if not the best for that. And it's just a shame to, to, to see so much fall away. 
But anyway, uh, like I said, let's get into the foreplay. Let's get into, uh, you know, our opening stories. Of course, the foreplay is where we talk about all the little stories and we got a little bit of a theme to run through on the foreplay. And then we've got a hell of a story of the week and a bit of a different listener's choice. Usually it's something I would end up talking about during the climax, but we'll get into it there. And well, anyway, we've got a lot to get into. Let's do it. Uh, so opening it up version nine of telegram. Of course, last week, telegram was a major part of the conversation for the episode. It ended up being our story of the week. And well, amazingly telegram kinda came out, released the feature. Now we talked about last week that Pavel Durov had planned on having a Halloween treat for telegram users but that Apple was stopping up the drain on it, you know, and keeping, keeping them from being able to release the feature broadly. Um, I'm a, I want to talk about that in a second. Okay. But let's say what they did, what they did is they released the feature that I think everybody was really looking for is that true competitor to telegram groups. What they, what they allowed for is topics, which is essentially, uh, uh, threaded posts, meaning you can, say something and then people can all kind of like reply in a threaded fashion underneath and, and do whatever else. And then you can also not only that because channels on telegram could do that, but the, you know, the, the posts are still pretty ephemeral in that like th they'll just disappear over time or not. They don't actually disappear, but you know, the, like every post that gets made, you'll have to comment on or whatever as to where with top, you know, and it would eventually disappear because more posts are being made as to where topics, you could actually pin them to the top um, of a group. And so they could, you know, they, they could be more evergreen, like they, they, they could stay there instead of being, uh, you know, more ephemeral, like say in a channel. And then you could just keep commenting on those topics and, and you essentially have threaded posts in that way. Uh, this is probably the number next to emoji reacts, which of course telegram did a little while ago. This is probably the most requested feature for telegram to have is something akin to threaded posts, which not only makes it a Facebook groups competitor, but then also kind of makes it a message board slash Reddit kind of competitor kind of, um, now, I mean, you could flood, you know, a group with, with topics, but I think at the same time, like, threaded conversations, threaded posts can run their course, you know, but to have like a set amount of topics for a day or two, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, now to be clear, there are some limitations on how this can get used right now. It can only be set up in groups that have 200 members or more. Um, I am in some groups where these have already been set up and it works pretty well. Uh, and you have to be updated both on desktop and particularly on what well, I, I actually, I'm not sure what the iOS versioning is. I think it's the same either way you go, but version nine is what you want to be on now. Uh, you know, great feature to add in. I mean, let, let's just be abundantly clear on that. And I know how, you know, I believe me, you can go listen to last week's episode. I know the critiques that I levied against them. We'll talk about alternatives in a minute in the rest of the foreplay. Um, but you know, if you're on telegram, like I said, last week, I am not going to be saying like, don't use this. Don't use that. Don't use this. Don't use that because everybody has such wildly different lifestyles, workflows, and frankly, corp or what could be considered corporate needs or, you know, whatever for their, their work life balance. Um, 
you know, can you come out and ultimately say, don't use this, don't use that. I mean, again, if somebody fucks with your data, as in you lose it, then it's, you know, kind of like Microsoft, then it's easy, you know, to make the claim, uh, screw that company. They lose my data. They lose my money. You know, that that's the end of the game, you know, but also like, we don't want to be playing like as brand cheerleaders in any way either. But then at the same time, you know, just a bit of a cooling off because it's just, things are just so complex. And again, everybody has different individualistic needs as far as apps, software, hardware goes, as far as tech in general goes. So you use what works for you. Okay. Um, I mean, there are certainly some things we would say don't use. Obviously it's like, get the fuck off of Facebook properties already, please. Um, but you get my point. So all of that aside, uh, this is the right move. Now, this is probably this version nine upgrade is probably what Apple was holding up, uh, you know, that they didn't approve because as soon as it could get released, it got released. Um, as far as, you know, is there anything here that I think as to why Apple would have held it up? No, it doesn't appear to be anything like that, that, you know, Apple would necessarily freak out about, but something that bothers me with this is, and, and I don't, maybe there's some kind of technical issue that I'm not aware of. Okay. And look, you know, this is something else I want to be clear on. Um, I do, you know, when I am prepping for episodes of sovereign tech, and I do a lot of prep work when I am prepping for episodes of sovereign tech, uh, I do reach out to these companies to try and get a response from them. I often don't. And sometimes I know why other times I don't know why but I often don't, but I reach out to them to try and get answers on these things because the tech press, as we know, it does not like they really don't do their due diligence on these things. Or if they do try to, they don't tell us, but usually they do say when, Hey, we reached out to this company for comment and we've yet to receive comment and blah, blah, blah. Um, I try to find out from these companies what the deal is. So when I say that, I don't know, I, I don't know how anyone else could, you know, like, if you're concerned, if someone's concerned that like, well, you haven't verified what you're saying, A, I'm going to tell you what I'm speculating. B, I try to. And when a company is quiet, admittedly, I assume the worst. Because as we've talked about many times in this game, you know, especially in the tech world, you assume malevolence, especially when it's someone like Telegram who is openly calling for regulation, legislation, and thus effectively government guns against whatever company that happens to be. Uh, anyway, here's, here's what bothers me with this. So like, it seems like this again, I'm guessing that version nine with the topics feature. I mean, and there are some other things added like new emoji packs for premium users and whatever else. Okay. Um, it seems like version nine is likely what they submitted to Apple. And that was not approved yet by Halloween by October 31st, last Monday. And, and I mean, that would make sense there again, that is a major new feature for someone to look at. Again, it's nothing I think to have it held up over, but it is something to look into certainly on Apple's part. Um, my problem here ultimately is so on Android, I use the independently installable APK from telegram.org. Okay. I don't even use the Google play store version. 
I use again, the independent version off of their website. Now, one of the promises, and we covered this in, I guess it was 2021 when this was initially launched. Okay. And, and I applauded telegram for having an, you know, an independent APK that you can download no app store required. That's the right way to do things, or at least it should be an option. Um, it was, it was stated directly by telegram, their own words that this, that that version would get, you know, the, 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 uh, independent APK would get the newest features would get features even, or, you know, we get features before any other version of telegram, meaning any version in the Google play store or version in the iOS app store. And they, they would get it sooner and they, it would even get, uh, uh, exclusive features that no other, uh, uh, you know, version of the telegram app would have. Now, I think that's great because again, as I said on sovereign tech at that time, when that first got launched, I said, this incentivizes people to get away from app repositories, which I think is great. Nothing new for me to say. I've been saying that as long as we've been doing sovereign tech. And here's the problem. Like there is no reason to wait to put out this topics feature for everyone, or, you know, like there's no reason to hold it up on Android because you can do the individual APK thing just because Apple are being assholes. And they are like, I'll be clear about that. So like I I've yet to see any real incentivization on telegrams part of why you should download the independent APK. Um, and I don't like that essentially Apple is holding everything up. It, now I don't like that, but even more so I don't like the telegram isn't living up to their promises and is effectively like making the rest of the telegram community, you know, especially the diehards who perhaps have a premium subscription or not, not only that also, you know, independently install the APK as they wanted us to, um, you know, that, that, that we're not getting any benefit out of that when we were told that we would. So the whole thing's a mess. And I don't know, maybe this is all just marketing, right? But don't, don't put your users in a marketing position like that. Don't use your users, uh, you know, for, for your marketing horseshit. And that, that makes for me, that feels worse than whatever Apple's doing. Just for me, you, your tolerances are different, but I feel like I'm essentially, and, and really every telegram user is essentially being used as a weapon against Apple or at least a bargaining chip. And I'm not a bargaining chip, just like I'm not a data point. And I thought you understood that telegram Pavel Durov. Anyway, moral of the story, Pavel, just, fu just fuck, fuck Apple, fuck iOS. Just, just fuck it. <laughs> Stop the horse shit. You know, you, you, you got a great product here, man. And you do. And you just came out with a killer feature, you know, that, that is really going to put it over the, over the top, I think, or can at least of getting more people away from platforms that aren't as, uh, uh, possibly or potentially respectful as telegram is. And I say potentially respectful.
Um, just, just leave them, leave them. <laughs> I know. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Why, why you're bothering? I, I know. I know how big of a deal Apple is in the United States, but like, aren't you a global fucking company? And most of the world runs on Android because most of the world doesn't seem to fall so, so much prey to the, you know, like a uh, uh, lifestyle obsession that Americans do. So just stop. But anyway, uh, speaking of another company <laughs> that in, in some ways is, and, and I hate to say this because I really think they're great and it's still my top choice, even well over telegram, uh, for the best messaging app out there right now. Um, but another company that, yeah, I, I mean, talk about like over promising and kind of under delivering, uh, Threema. Threema, of course, is one of the, I, I would argue is kind of the sleeping giant of messaging apps in the world right now. Um, and they, so, and we talked about this, uh, wow, actually it looks like by my notes almost four years ago, um, that, and this is when Threema initially went fully open source because before they were not, they were, they were independently audited or like audited by a third party. Um, but they were not open source. Then they did finally go full open source, which Bravo. Um, and then, and, and at that time when they went full open source, they laid out some other plans. Like they were saying, yeah, we're going to have an independent desktop app. We're going to have the ability to log in on multiple devices. We're going to have this, 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 you know, you know, all these different features. Um, and it has been largely radio silence, uh, since that announcement. And it's been pretty disappointing because for, I mean, you can go through a web client kind of similar to what WhatsApp had to do for a long time where you can go through a web client, but then it's still using your smartphone's data connection effectively, meaning your smartphone still has to be on, which for me at the end, like, look, I mean, I, I hate smartphones overall. Okay. Like <laughs> that's not news to anybody. Okay. Um, but a really great feature is when you can turn off your smartphone and your computer, which can be a far more can be again, keyword can be out of the box, different story, but can be a far more secure platform. Um, you know, leave your smartphone behind or just have it turned off because fuck those notifications. Um, but then, you know, you could have like, say your favorite smartphone services, an app, a messaging app, a great one like Threema say, which does so much, right? Like, let's be clear here. They have, they've still done great moves. Like some of the things they've developed in the past, just couple months, you know, have been phenomenal, right? Where like, they don't need to use, uh, uh, GMS for notifications, uh, you know, in particular, which I'm sure is part of developing this, perhaps developing this, this desktop version of the app. Um, but anyway, like I want to be able to turn my smartphone off and yet still be able to use, you know, my main messaging apps on my PC, right? So Threema Desktop 2.0, as it's officially called, um, I mean, this is just, it's been in development for years now. And I'm, I'm kind of, it's another situation where I'm wondering, like, what's so hard here? Now, recently they've started tweeting about it, and it's only been in replies, recently they've started tweeting about where things are at, what the development stage is, you know, is, is after that. Um, 
And in fact, I'll read one right here. It says, we know that, and this is from, this is from today, uh, you know, as of this recording, what is it? November 7th. Here we go. We know that many users are eagerly awaiting multi-device support, and we're working hard on Threema 2.0 for desktop. Initial tests in conjunction with the iOS app were successful. We plan on releasing more news before the end of this year. Thank you for your patience. Definitely some patience. <laughs> you know, you're welcome. Uh, but yeah, so now it's interesting. Here's another situation, and I wonder about this. You know, speaking of with Telegram, with Topics, and then what's happening with Threema 2.0 or Threema Desktop 2.0. Um, iOS seems to be holding everybody up. This is a problem. Like there, there's, there's honestly, there's a meta narrative there in and of itself that you, you got to wonder about. Like what the fuck is Apple doing that's keeping these companies from evolving? It's not the 30% Apple tax that's doing that. There's some kind of wacky requirements that is keeping privacy respecting, potentially secure messaging apps. Uh, I mean, Threema is secure by design, Telegram, a little bit of a different story. Uh, you know, from, from making such what I would argue would be such an incredibly basic thing, like a desktop app. It's, it's very strange. Uh, you know, what's going on there, but regardless, Threema Again, still the best messaging app out there. I mean, besides like Briar, but not everybody's going to use Briar and there's, you know, battery concerns with that and whatever. Um, but still the best, still the ultimate messenger is I titled it in, uh, in 2021. Um, and I'll certainly be keeping an eye on this and I'll let you know when, when, when that comes out, I mean, we'll be doing a full review when that desktop app comes out. Um, because this is something that really more people should be looking at. And I know they're not looking at it. In fact, you know, this is fucking hilarious. I actually talked about this a little bit on the Patreon only sovereign tech discord group, which, you know, discord is what it is. There's no privacy whatsoever. You know, you've got to keep that in mind. There is zero, zero, zero privacy, zero protection of your data. None non-existent. And I'm not even necessarily saying that that's like a uh, bad thing is a wrong term. I don't want to use, that's not the term that I want to go for. Like everything should be encrypted in some form or fashion. Now you could argue that, uh, like, like their servers have, you know, security in place, but there is no privacy, you know, guaranteed in any way. And that, and that, that, that's, that's, what's important to, to say here now something that I'm kind of amused by is the amount of people that are celebrities, I should say. So I don't know that we should call them people because they're, they're not living on planet earth. I don't know where the fuck they are, but they're certainly not on the ground. Um, but celebrities are like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. Leaving Twitter, going to Mastodon, you know, because El no fucking bought whatever fucking El no. And which, Hey, I'm with you. Fuck that guy. Uh, and, and I was on that train way before any of these fucking celebrities were. I've been trashing Elno for fucking ever. So Elno Musk, um, you know, does what he does. We're not going to talk about that here. But people are leaving, you know, Twitter seemingly in droves. I don't think that's actually happening. But they're going to Mastodon. <laughs> Just, <laughs> give, give me a fucking break. Give me a break. Um, 
you know, and the few people that I hear, you know, of these, these, these talking heads or, or people that have some kind of fame who are talking about moving, going over to Mastodon, they're like, oh, I'm having these incredibly intelligent conversations and all this stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, that's because there's not, you know, a billion people on there. And so you can actually have more of a conversation. Also, for someone to be able to get on there, they have to have a, have to have a little more technical know-how. So the intelligence level in general is higher. And also there probably aren't so many bots. There isn't so much spam. And because of its federated nature, it's actually kind of difficult to engage in advertising um, on there. And it, with its federated nature, you have like a lot of people moderating and it's not, you know, just one overarching, you know, group at Twitter HQ. Uh, you know, that that's doing the moderation, but look, you know, when Mastodon started getting developed, I mean, remember quitter.no, right? Uh, I, I went on that. that, that was, that was part of, you know, Mastodon. Um, and I mean, even had, you know, and look, I'm not knocking cause like I even had conversations, you know, email conversations, um, you know, with the, with the guy who's running, uh, you know, running that service, you know, his, his little part of the Fediverse there. And like, look, just, just people aren't going to do it. And the reason people aren't going to do it is because they're likely not going to get, you know, quasi famous on there, which is what everybody's hope is on Twitter, which is a nonsense hope. Um, and also most people aren't going to be able to get over the technical hurdles of Mastodon. Now you could say that, well, now because of the concern, which Oh, fuck whatever. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it. I'll know. I'm just not, uh, not here. Not about this. You know, he want me to talk about his robot or something. That's pure bullshit too, but whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, but like, you know, if you're saying, well, now we have to learn, well, that's what I've been saying forever. Yeah. You're going to have, if you want services that you have more control over that maybe has more security privacy or the ability to have what you consider to be freedom of speech or lack of control by the powers that be or whatever, you're going to have to, you're going to have to increase your skill level a bit on computers. You have to, you don't have a choice. There's no way to make this stuff easier. That's not how this works. It has to be difficult by design because to do security as well as, uh, you know, uh, uh, distributed technologies, decentralized technologies and all that. It's hard. It's meant to be hard. That's what makes them hardened against authority. But whatever, I've been saying that for 10 years and I don't know, I guess now people are kind of listening, but they're really not because look, the, these people are prima donnas and they're not going to get the lavish praise or the dopamine hits on Mastodon that they get on Twitter. So they'll be back to Twitter, you know? And if it was about, Oh gee, I, I want intelligent conversations. They would be on telegram or they would be on, you know, some like creating groups on something like Threema. If that's what it was about, that's not what it's about. These people just want to transmit. They don't want to actually have fucking conversations or maybe they would be talking about discord. I mean, interestingly, and I, and I really do find this interesting. There are even calls now, and I'm not saying from Jack Dorsey, there are even calls now that, gee, maybe we should go back to IRC. Maybe IRC should come back, which let's be clear. Discord is effectively, you know, it's IRC simplified and, you know, with some, you know, fancy emoji reacts and everything else. I mean, yes, there's a lot more that Discord can do. I know, um, but effectively, 
you know, Discord is just IRC. Like Discord, I think, is what a lot of, you know, that's the direction people should go. But then on Discord, you're really not going to get advertisers and all that because it's all like different groups, which is actually much like Mastodon is. But I guess people find Mastodon a little more palatable because it's it seems at face value more like Twitter, even though it's not. Um, and so that's but that's why they're not going to Discord. Uh, but I was blown away to hear, you know, anytime someone besides me says use IRC. I mean, you know, like my ears are just, whoa, you know, they're red hot. <laughs> I get excited when I hear that. So who knows, you know, in fact, let maybe, okay. You want one comment on how I feel about Elno, uh, with, you know, buying Twitter. If, if this, you know, like the buying of Twitter along with the mass layoffs happening at meta and so on. If this leads to like some kind of grand reversion to where people are going back to IRC and hell, maybe even getting, giving encrypted email a shot here, you know, like with proton mail or something, um, bravo, <laughs> let, 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 let it all burn. Let it all burn. <laughs> okay. Just, just let it fall. And, and I, I will be, I will be a happy man. I mean, like you got to understand the smile that comes across my face every time in the morning when I log into IRC. I mean, it is ear to ear, you know, because it's like, aha, <laughs> no dum dums, <laughs> no advertisers, <laughs> no bullshit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it, it is, it, it is a wonderful thing. And oh man, I mean, no noise, like the colors. I choose the colors, baby. There's no reds to tell me that, Ooh, you got a notification. There's nothing, none of that. I choose the color. I call the shots. That's how I want it. IRC, baby. We'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Have you had enough of the big name web hosting services that are long on promises, but short on bleeding edge features, uptime and customer service? Or are you just looking for a performance boost for your business's online presence? The answer is Agorist Hosting. Agorist Hosting is the agile web host that offers full concierge service from website redesign, full e-commerce solutions, even custom apps for your Shopify store, and more. All with security, reliability, redundancy, and privacy at the forefront. Oh, and those bleeding edge features? How about hosting your data in a decentralized system like IPFS, the interplanetary file system? Good luck getting that from those other guys. Agoras Hosting is ready to take your web presence into the future. Head over to agoristhosting.com to get started. That's A-G-O-R-I-S-T hosting.com. Agoristhosting.com. Story of the Week. You know, here's a subject that I don't talk about much lately. Anyway, um, I am going to indirectly be talking about cryptocurrency, about money in general. Um, certainly I would love to have a more abstract conversation around money itself. Not that it would necessarily be anything new. I've talked about it many times, but this story I thought was rather enlightening in the direction that things are going. So I want to read a story here from the block by, uh, by Inbar Pries. 
And she, she had a very interesting piece about the, what, what is, you know, outside of America, very, I mean, in America, the conversation around CBDCs, which just means central bank digital currency, um, which is essentially a government version of Bitcoin, you know, a government cryptocurrency. Um, I mean, it's not decentralized at all. <laughs> okay. Central's in the name, uh, but you know, this is something that a lot of governments are exploring. Some are further ahead than others. Of course, uh, the European Union, the EU, has been exploring this since 2021, and it's an exploration that's on a timeline, which will be ending in September of 2023. Now, I'll read the piece here from November 7th, so this is super fresh. And here's the headline. Digital euro may have transaction limits and store of value caps. Now, frankly, the headline says it all. Okay, but let me read a little bit more and then I want to break this down and what this means as far as money, cryptocurrencies and all that. Uh, So here we go. The European Union's central bank digital currency, CBDC, uh, may have a transaction and store of value limits uh, for individuals. Fabio Panetta, an executive board member of the European Central Bank, the ECB, uh, suggested at the quote uh, or suggested at the quote towards a legislative framework enabling a digital euro end quote conference hosted by the European Commission. Boy, that sounds like a I mean, that's just a dynamite. Sounds like a dynamite conference. Very exciting. I hope there's orgies or something. I don't know, because (laughs) I think I think I'd I'd be tearing out whatever possible hair that I don't have is left. Uh, Anyway, exact limits are not set in stone as the digital euro project is still in an investigation phase within the ECB. But Panetta uh, mentioned 3000 euros as an example store value limit and a thousand transactions as a monthly limit. Quote, if we give access to a means of payment, which is relatively limited, there are no transaction costs because you only need to have a smartphone End quote Panetta said, explaining quote, there will be risks that people could use this possibility to move, for example, their deposits of other banks or their money out of financial intermediates End quote. This would be a threat to financial stability in times of crisis. He added, which is why the ECB is looking to introduce transaction limits for the potential CBDC quote, digital Euro would be an additional option for retail payment, not a challenge to the function of the financial system. And quote, Panetta said, highlighting that the CBDC is not meant to replace cash. Continuing on Panetta also pointed toward a 50 Euro cap on transactions, citing anti-money laundering provisions. However, Christian Lindner, the German minister of finance expressed concerns quote, I wonder whether people would accept 50 euros as they can pay in cash hundreds more. And uh, quote, he added saying, quote, we should introduce a digital euro that is really accepted by people and not only by policymakers. End quote. The ECB is expected to decide whether to move forward with a realization phase by September, 2023 with uh, a legislative proposal expected from the European commission. The continuation of the European CBDC project is becoming more likely. So effectively, the EU is serious about this, about doing a CBDC. Um, not a surprise by any stretch, and certainly not a surprise when you consider what they're going to put in place. Effectively, they're going to say, well, you can actually, with, with the digital euro, you can only have up to, you know, 3,000 euros, euros in this case instead of dollars, 
You can only have up to 3000 euros and you can only do a thousand transactions. Now I'm sure that like doing a thousand transactions, they would probably do some kind of somehow, some kind of environmental claim around that, even though I cannot imagine that a CBDC would operate on a proof of work, uh, you know, uh, uh, infrastructure like Bitcoin does. Um, because I mean, you talk about something that would flip people out, you know? So, <laughs> but I mean, I'm amazed that the German minister of finance comes out with the, with the voice of, of, of some kind of reason, some kind keyword uh, of reason saying we should introduce a digital Euro that is really accepted by people and not only by policymakers. So basically make a technology that people actually want and not something that appeases, you know, the powers that be. Well, I, I mean, yeah, great. You know, but that, that hasn't been the modest apprendi certainly within technology, within the tech world itself to say nothing of, you know, the economy and finance. I mean, when has that ever been, you know, the order of the day? Like Bitcoin did not come out of any government, right? That came out because people knew they, they needed that. They needed something like Bitcoin to exist. And so a person brought it to life. I mean, <laughs> that that's kind of what the German, you know, uh, minister of finance is, is arguing for, uh, here. Now there is the realm of fact of what we know, what was said. Now let's get into the realm of speculation. Where do I think that this is going to go? Um, this is a nightmare. This is an absolute economic horror story. Okay. Because what they're talking about is essentially being able to force you into poverty, into permanent poverty. You cannot own more than $3,000 unless what? You fit into some kind of specific, you know, job description, or if you fit into your, you know, if you suck the right dick or I, I don't know what, whatever it is that will give you, allow you to get a greater cap. That's where this is going. I mean, CBDCs in general should be absolutely terrifying. You know, like <laughs> there's a part of me that the reason why, I mean, you can't shut Bitcoin down anyway, no matter what you do, just like you can't shut down the pirate bay. Right. I mean, what, what did they try to, what, what did the FBI try to do last week? Shut down Z library. Okay, great. You killed the DNS, but then you could still get there via tour too bad assholes. You know, this is the beauty of, of, of these technologies that had been developed before government knew what to do with them. So, you know, but I wonder if the reason that governments have been so, um, and I would argue that they have been overall by comparison to other technologies, they have been incredibly lax, uh, and, and have kept things vague and confusing as far as regulatory frameworks, or at least some countries have, because they want to see where this experiment can go. And then what can they do? How can they take advantage of this technology that clearly people have found a use case for and not just people, but also say, you know, the CIA and others who I firmly believe are behind Bitcoin or, or they're not. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're not behind Bitcoin. I mean, they are supportive of Bitcoin. They are not, they did not create Bitcoin. That didn't happen. I want to be clear on that statement. Someone's going to take that out of context, but whatever we'll run with it. They are supportive of Bitcoin. Why? Because they use it. It's just as benefit. It's just like, it's like the signal messaging app. They use it as much as anybody else does. You know, well, even the EU, the EU's like, yeah, all politicians should use signal. <laughs> 
anyway um so yeah uh, uh this this is this is a nightmare now you could say well but you know uh, uh what what was what was the uh, uh, panetta's panetta came right out and said yeah but this isn't going to replace cash now it's not going to replace speculation but it's not going to replace cash yet yet but you get people used to the convenience of this and people will do that when you make something so fucking convenient like digital payments and look they are they are convenient there's a reason that apple wallet and you know uh, uh google pay and, or, and whatever else you know or like apple pay and google pay all that there's a reason that all of the that these services uh, have taken off fairly quickly and fairly well especially in cities because they are fucking convenient even i can admit to that that doesn't mean that it's okay right because you know it's bad enough that uh credit card companies you know and and, and banks you know you, you talk i mean <laughs> you think google and apple and picker and amazon and picker tech giant are tracking you holy shit credit card companies know way more about everything that you do than any other company out there way more. Why do you think they're not sweating about anything? You know, you, d- you don't hear about credit card companies necessarily. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, eventually, sure. You can have a Lehman Brothers situation, but I mean, you don't really hear much about those kinds of institutions saying, oh yeah, we had a bad quarter, you know, and all that, like a lot of the tech giants are right now. I mean, because again, like they've got all the data in the world that they can sell off to whoever, you know, they got a whole side business going on with that. Anyway, it's bad enough that Credit card companies know every fucking thing that you do, especially when you install their app on, on your smartphone. Um, but you know, when you, when you end up using, you know, Google pay, you know, and Apple pay, you know, and all that, when you end up using that, then you're, you're, you're just doubling how much that data is getting out there. Now you're giving it not, not only to the card company that are, you originally had it with or the bank, but also to the tech giants when you could have cut that middleman out if you didn't use that shit, but I get it. It's fucking convenient. I understand wholeheartedly. I understand, but there's a price that comes with this. And my concern is like most people don't think about it when they sign up for Google pay or Apple pay or whatever, when they sign up for that, they don't think about the fact that, holy shit, I am giving all of this financial data, you know, to the tech giants. Hell, they don't even think about the fact that, wait a minute, when I use a credit card all the time, I'm being followed. You know, they, they don't think about this. And so that's the problem is you introduce something with the convenience and ease of say a CBDC, a digital Euro, which do I believe that politicians can pull off convenience and ease on that? No, not really. But let's say that they do, (laughs) uh, give it 10 years. I don't even think you have to wait a generation. Give it 10 years. And people will just, I think people like, or certainly the up and coming generation, they'll just slump right into it and they'll just get used to that as a standard and then give it just a little bit longer. And they'll be like, yeah, no, I, I don't need a, I don't need cash. I don't need a bank. I mean, how many people even have cash right now? Anyway, you're essentially almost already there to this dream or should I say nightmare, but dream for the authoritarians of being able to cap how much money you can even save and how much you can spend. This is terrifying. Like even as something as, 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 and you know, something as an ancillary to, you know, to cash, 
This is a horrible idea. Who would buy into this? Well, again, make it convenient enough. And certainly, I mean, there does, it does lend itself to somewhat of a conversation. And this is one of my big issues. Okay. The point I want that I'm part of the point that I'm making here is that this is the direction that some of these technologies can go. Now, do do I think that Bitcoin is ever going to go this direction? No. In fact, I think Bitcoin is always going to exist. Why? Because if you enforce this kind of shit on a populace and instead of it just, again, it's not just ancillary, it becomes the, the de facto standard. Okay. For it becomes the only way that you can spend money. Mark of the beast is your smartphone. Woo. Oh, anyway. Um, okay. But you know, how are the, how are the wealthy going to transact? They'll use Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I don't think like, I'm not saying that all cryptocurrencies and that cryptocurrency inherently can become this, but oh yeah, government wants it to become this. But like I said, there's always going to be Bitcoin. There's always going to be alternatives out there. Um, that, you know, the rich, the CIA, but I repeat myself and other, you know, like they, they, they need those things to exist, to do the shady shit they do. Right. So this is only to keep the peons in line. Um, now the point I was going to bring up, uh, and, and this is something that I've railed against in the crypto space, you know, for years. And that is the idea that, oh, we have to get there. There are millions of people, including, you know, refugees and migrants to say Europe, um, or other places who, Hey, they are getting out of ugly situations. Notice I am calling them refugees and migrants. I'm not calling them any kind of derogatory name because they're human beings. They have the same dignity that you or I do. Okay. However, you have opportunistic asshats who would want to take advantage of this new populace and, you know, basically get them into this program. And then they consider it, you know, they're, you know, they're like, holy shit. Wow. Yes. I'm in this land of plenty and whatever else. Okay. Um, but then there's these limitations on them, you know, but, and that's my concern because these asshats who want to take advantage, Oh, we got to give them IDs. We got to get, we got to get them banked somehow and all this. And Hey, a CBDC would be an easy way to do that. And all they have to do is have a smartphone. So you get to track these people wherever they are. And that also becomes their, you know, identification and everything. None of which is under the control of the individual. It's completely under the control of the EU. Uh, yeah, again, this is a nightmare, this whole concept. Cause you could say, oh yeah, no, no, again, it's just, just it'll complement cash. It's not going to replace it. Yeah, sure. It'll do that now. But what about 10 years from now? What about 20 years from now? It's the old slow frog boil that I'm very concerned about. Um, I mean, if you wanted this thing to actually like take off again, you would go with what, you know, the, the, the finance minister of, of Germany said, like, make something that's actually useful for the people, not the policymakers. That's not what's going on here. And this definitely feels like a long-term plan. I mean, they've already been working on it for two years. They've got all the patience in the world. They'll write out all the fucking recessions that are going on and everything. You know, they're not in any trouble. It's the peons that are going to have the problem. And then they come out with this solution and Hey, all they got to do fuck is offer them some free, you know, some free digital Euro and how many people will sign up for that shit. And then you're locked in, give it a few years 
And, you know, is it the slippery slope? Oh, yeah. <laughs> slippery slope. <laughs> I don't, it's more like a cliff. I don't even think it'd be a slippery slope. Do not. Do not. Do. Here, let me rephrase it. Do everything you can to subvert and keep from being a part of any CBDC system. Any. Because it's just, it's going to go this direction. I mean, like the fact that they're just being open about it. They, oh yeah, great. CBDC. We get to put limits on people. You know that that's the end game. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Science. Outer space. Psychology. Book and movie recommendations. Fiction from the Sovereign Universe. Travels to points of mystery and the unexplained. And even spirituality? All of that can only mean one thing. The Sovereign Technica Newsletter. By me, Ellen Sovereign. Along with some stuff by that crazy man I call my husband, Dr. Brian Sovereign. It's the latest tool in your self-directed education. The education that really matters. If you want to cut through the crap of mainstream media ass clowns, sign up for the Sovereign Technica newsletter right now at sovereign.substack.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N.substack.com. The Sovereign Technica newsletter. Welcome to the future. Listener's choice. Ooh, from the war on cash to the war on entertainment. Look, before we get into the war on entertainment, um, and boy, does it feel like one sometimes. Uh, I want to get, okay, let me be clear here. Like, because sometimes, you know, over the years, I mean, when you've been doing this, you know, podcasts like this, for as long as I have, um, look, my, my opinions have more or less stayed the same, you know, still incredible. Like nothing I was just talking about was a knock on cryptocurrency as an abstract concept. I still think there's incredible value in that. I don't think Bitcoin is going anywhere. I am still very supportive of Litecoin, even Zcash, uh, Monero, you know, I mean like there, there are there, there and it, it's few, like, I mean, when I say handful, I mean that quite literally, uh, well, how literal is that with cryptocurrencies that you can't hold in your hand, but you get what I mean. I guess I should say I can count them on one hand. How about that? By handful of how, or, you know, with, with one hand's fingers, how many cryptocurrencies I actually give a shit about and that I think are worthwhile to exist. Yeah. Five. Yeah. It probably tops out at five. Um, so my opinions haven't changed there at all, but also, and I, in fact, there's even an episode of sovereign tech probably from about six years ago called the war on cash, where I gave the same advice that I just did. Meaning that as government implements cryptocurrencies, whether it's at the time, the term CBDC didn't exist. Um, you know, however they decided to do it, like just stay away from it because it eliminates 
you know, the, 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 one of the elements that, I mean, it's not in classical definitions of what money should be, you know, about fungibility and all that. Uh, but anonymity should absolutely be a part of the definition of money. And if it's not, I would argue it's not useful, you know, even as a medium of exchange, if it is not in and of itself anonymous. So anyway, let's get into all that said, uh, in, and the ID stuff. I mean, I've told you that a million times over ID is for fucking cattle. And that's exactly what the European union is trying to make everyone again, you know, neo feudal Lords. So, um, why don't we get into <laughs> the feudal Lords of entertainment here? Uh, I, I know that might sound extreme, but this story got sent in to me and this is just un fucking believable. Like I couldn't believe what I read. Uh, and it's from two days ago. So what would that have been? November 5th It's from November 5th, 2022 talking about a movie that, you know, it, it's been a while since I've seen a new film in theaters that really got me jazzed up. You know, jazzed up to the point that there's a new, you know, action figure sitting on my desk. Uh, and, and this is a movie of that ilk, that being none other than Black Adam, uh, did a full review of the film in the episode, recent episode actually titled Triple Black Adam. Uh, I can't wait to watch this movie a few times over because I'm sure there's just more and more to, to grok and to glean as far as Easter eggs. Um, every time I do watch it. And, you know, I talked about this on uh, a Wednesday Q and a for sovereign tech patrons, of course, go to patreoncom slash sovereign tech to get your hook up there. Uh, but when I did my review of the movie, I'd actually said, it's like, yeah, you know, the score didn't like, I didn't really notice it, but maybe I was taken in too much at the time. I don't know. Uh, but I had mentioned on the, on the Wednesday Q and a that I did finally give Lauren Belf score, uh, you know, a really deep listen and man, the music in this movie. I mean, it just takes that movie to a whole other level. The music's phenomenal. Black Adam's theme is amazing. Has a real, and I could imagine the rock, you know, was like asking for this. Like it kind of opens up. It's sort of like a, it's like the other side of the coin to say Hans Zimmer's or John Williams, you know, themes for Superman. And which I think is pretty fitting, but anyway, um, yeah. So if boy, just another reason to love this movie. However, not everybody loves this movie. Uh, in fact, there is a stark difference when you, you know, go to, uh, like say Metacritic, you know, or a lot of the, the varying sites that rank films, uh, basically you have a 40% critic score. So that's not favorable. And then you have a 90%, um, audience score, audience approval rating, which is through the roof. Very few things like even for audiences, you know, kiss that level uh, of 90%. And since black Adams release, it has essentially been the number one movie in the world, you know, week after week. I, I think this would be the, the third weekend straight that it has achieved that, which is amazing. Um, I had said when I initially reviewed the movie, uh, and believe me, we got something very interesting to get in here that, that totally fits in with what we talk about on sovereign tech. So, uh, I'm not just going to like re-review the film here or anything, but just an update from what I was saying when I did do a review of the film on sovereign tech, uh, yeah, th this movie's doing money, you know, like, <laughs> like Warner brothers has got to be pretty happy about what's going on. Um, you know, it might've, might've seemed like a slower weekend for it on the first weekend. And we talked about that, 
but it hasn't slowed down at all. If anything, it's picked up now going into next weekend, as in this weekend coming up, uh, it's probably not going to be number one. Why? Because the new black Panther movie is opening up, which despite people often thinking that I just hate all Marvel films, uh, that's not true. I actually like black Panther was to my mind, I mean, the last great Marvel movie that I saw and, you know, one of the last great movies that I saw and really it is a great film. Uh, so I am very excited for the sequel here. Um, and we'll definitely be reviewing it on sovereign tech. Um, but anyway, that movie's going to do just, just stupid numbers and rightfully so, um, for many reasons, some of which go beyond entertainment. And we're going to go beyond entertainment here when talking about black Adam with the story from CBR.com. Um, but, you know, I just want to say that like, you know, black, I mean, I could see black Adam still like doing number two underneath black Panther, but that's about the only thing, only a movie of that caliber with that kind of cachet, like, you know, the black Panther, uh, well, I mean, it's only had one movie out, but again, there's things that go beyond the entertainment industry as to why this is such a big deal. Um, I mean, it's got, you know, well-deserved cachet that is going to put it over the top. There's just that that's just how it's going to happen. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a knock on black Adam. It's just, this is, you know, this is a, a phenomenon. I was going to say anomaly, but it's not an anomaly. There's good reasons for this and it's a phenomenon. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I've really appreciated it. I'll say this before we get into the story. I've appreciated the rocks, uh, like constant promotion. He did not just like let this movie drop and walk away from it. He is still promoting it and he has come out and even said, and, and I can believe him. He's even said, uh, you know, in whatever social media that he does it on, uh, that, you know, he's, he's a total DC boy, you know, as in DC comics, like he bleeds that through and through and not like, I, I could totally relate to what he was saying. I'm like, yeah, exactly. You know, and he was saying Superman is his favorite, you know, but then he, you know, he loved, he was totally, he gravitated toward the character of black Adam cause he was Brown and all this. And I mean, just all fantastic, all the right things to say. And, and again, I can really believe the rock. You can tell, especially if you've been following his career in wrestling and otherwise, as long as I have, I mean, the guy, you know, guys jacked as fuck, but he's a total dork. And, uh, yeah, anyway, I could see it. So, <laughs> So that was cool, uh, you know, for, for someone to like, I mean, that's the thing with a rock. He's very self-aware, um, self-aware in the sense that like, he knows what he's doing. He knows, he knows what he's doing is cheesy. He knows what he, he knows what makes these things work. And he, he also has enough, you know, enough, uh, uh stroke, uh, enough pull to make things how he wants them. And, uh, I think we all really benefit from that anyway. So here we go from CBR.com, uh, which, you know, it's always impressive for a website to, to have a, a, you know, a three character.com address. Uh, and this is certainly one of the geek sites that's been around for a good long while, but they're also one of the worst, uh, as far as their, you know, click, uh, clickbait and frankly, their stories are nonsense. And this one really is no different. So coming from Ronaldo Matadine. Uh, let's see here. Here's the headline. Black Adams fan reception is problematic for the DCU's future with critics panning black Adam, but audiences adoring the film Warner brothers could be duped into thinking it's the formula to move forward. All right, stop, stop right there. (laughs) Okay. Like I just want, that's the subheader. I want to read that subheader again, and we're going to read some of the story, but like, Let me read the subheader with critics panning 
Black Adam, but audiences adoring the film. Okay, so critics hate it. We talked about the cinema scores. 40% versus 90%. So critics, 40%. They hate it. Audiences, 90%. They love it. Okay, CBR.com. Ronaldo Matadine is admitting audiences adore the film. What's the concern here? That exact quote, Warner Brothers could be duped into thinking it's a formula to move forward. Wait, wait, who, who, who are you trying to please here? <laughs> like, this is so ass backwards. Who, who, wait, so do you make a movie to please the critics or do you make a movie to get people to buy tickets to go see it, get asses in seats? Which is it? According to CBR, it looks like it's, you just appease the elite ass critics and fuck the audience. I mean, honestly, it's what it feels like Hollywood does every day today. Anyway, let's read on. This is, this is a very, is that really what, what CBR.com here is saying? Hmm. Here we go. Uh, when the critics began revealing their takes on black Adam, many wondered if DC had churned out another bomb, it would have been disappointing given DC fans and comic book movie fans in general want to see heroes such as Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the rest of the justice league doing well on the big screen. It's not just about having a competitor for Marvel, but giving fans old and new the joy of witnessing some of pop culture's most iconic faces fighting their villains in cinematic grandeur. It paints an interesting dichotomy, however, with Rotten Tomatoes critical score at 39%, but the audience is at 90%, indicating fans love Dwayne Johnson's antihero. However, while the movie's success is great, viewers receiving the film so well isn't good for the DC movie, uh, for the DC universe move, moving forward long term. Uh, Stallion breaking in. I, I, I can't believe I'm reading that. You're literally saying people don't know what they want. Like this ass backwards doesn't even begin to cover just how, what is this? This is like bizarro land pun intended. Like you you don't want Warner brothers to like make movies that people want to see. Does that make sense? Let me read on. Maybe, maybe there's going to be more clarity here somewhere. Let me read on. So here, byline, uh, Black Adam's praise is fans accepting mediocrity. What? Okay, let's read. With Shazam and Aquaman coming off as more inspirational, lighthearted movies, and the violent side of the DCU being tended to uh, via Peacemaker and Amanda Waller's Task Force X, make no mistake, Black Adam's violence does have a place. It's the very nature of the character, unlike what transpired in Man of Steel. But what? Okay, let, let's stop on that. Let okay, c- calm calm down on this. Th- this is a jab at Zack Snyder, which critics love to do. This is a jab at Z- at Zack Snyder for making Superman kill somebody in Man of Steel. Um, when you know Superman doesn't do that. Okay, now while I agree that moment should have been saved for wonder woman in the overall shit show. That was wonder woman, 1984, uh, which a movie brought to you by the, by the U S military, by the way, uh, that's not an exaggeration. Look it up. Um, <laughs> and, and that's fucking weird. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, 
I mean, this is what the military needs to just stay out of fucking movies. But anyway, uh, or at least out, out, out of what, what? No, just get out of everything. There, okay, there we go. Okay, moving on. Um, I've explained that, you know, no, like it worked. It was a powerful moment. Okay, I wish they would have saved it elsewhere, but it's a powerful moment. Stop ripping on Zack Snyder over that. Okay, Mo- moving on. I mean, we could talk about it more, but I'd have to get into a whole history of Superman. There's so much that we'd have to talk about. But DC Comics writers who had been writing Superman for years pulled similar tricks. And anyway, Snyder knew what he was doing. Let's move on. Uh, but, But while Adam himself, as in Black Adam, is on brand, that doesn't mean a charismatic lead should give him a hall pass. Yes, fans love Johnson and his WWE time as The Rock, but still the outpouring of love can backfire due to the movie's many flaws. Now, fans are entitled to their own opinions, but Black Adam isn't that good of a film. The plot is rushed, the dialogue is lacking, and it relies heavily on the typical CGI-laced finale that flopped for Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, and Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, to name a few. Okay, Stanley breaking in. Uh, no, I don't think that failed on any of those films. Wonder Woman is a phenomenal comic book film, the original one, or, you know, the, the first one with, with Gal. Uh, Batman v. Superman, far better is the Ultimate Edition solves a ton of its problems okay uh suicide squad is what it is and and you know i mean i'm actually i'm not sure what they're i they didn't put the the there so i'm guessing they're not talking about james gunn's film um but suicide squad i mean that ran into other issues like cgi lace finale wasn't one of them in fact really wasn't there anyway that, that that's a whole other conversation um but the plot is rushed the dialogue is lacking. I mean, look, that's comic books, folks. Like it's meant to be comic books are different from novels in that they are half visual spectacle, including what would kind of require a CGI laced finale. So this kind of proves my point that the critics don't understand comic books. And they don't like the idea of comic books being translated directly onto the screen. They want it. This is such a problem because, you know, look, the beauty of comic books is that comic books, believe it or not, can actually reflect, have the opportunity to reflect real life more. What do I mean by that? So you have a narrative structure, right? That is the classic, you know, setup, conflict, climax, that has existed, you know, it's, it's Greco-Roman shit, right? Here's the problem with that. While I certainly love tons and tons and tons of stories from Star Trek to Stargate to you know, Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica, thank you. Um, I mean, just about everything, you know, and so many books that follow that narrative style, right? Set up, you know, set up conflict, climax, you know, conclusion, all that, that follow that, you know, nice, Wrap it up in a bow. Life doesn't work that way. And I think one of the powers of comic books is that it actually doesn't always have to follow that narrative, partly because there is no set. You can see when you're making comic books, you can actually, you can have a storyline that, all right, you planned for it to go three issues. And then you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I want to go six. And if you got a great team and a hot selling comic, you can pull that. You can do that. You can call that shot with the top brass at DC or Marvel or Dark Horse or IDW or whoever. 
Um, unless it's a set mini series and you know how many you're going to get, then it, that's a different story. But you know, if you got a, if you have a run going, you know, a volume run going on a comic, uh, you can, you can kind of pull that off. And there's a lot of times where comics have completely fucked with all forms of narrative structure that we understand good storytelling to be. For example, the classic issue of G.I. Joe with Snake Eyes, where not a word is spoken. Panel by panel, the action is completely visual. It's amazing. It's like a silent film. Now, most people today would say, don't you dare ever make a silent film. It doesn't work anymore. We, it was only a technological uh, 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 you know, problem. Like it was a limitation. It was a technological limitation that we did silent films. You don't need to do that anymore. But yet that issue of G.I. Joe is considered one of the greatest comic books in history. We can buck narrative trends with comic books. And if that can be translated to comic book movies, phenomenal. Great. Okay. So, uh, so I have a general, I have a, you know, like when I write short stories, I've had some people tell me that my short stories come off kind of weird because they leave a lot of things like hanging. And that's not because there isn't conclusion. It's because it's like real life. In real life, shit hangs sometimes. You don't know what happened to that person after you had that awkward conversation. You don't know what happened, and you go the rest of your life with that. Now, if the writer or, uh, you know, narrative uh, controller, you know, the creator, is setting up to where you're supposed to get an answer and you don't, that's a different story. That's somebody, that's bad writing. But if you're just trying to, like, have something in there that is just going to hang for all time. Um, no, like you're bucking narrative trends, you know, Greco-Roman nar narrative trends. And I think that that's great. So anyway, uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on. <laughs> um, here we go. In that sense, it has a lot of the same technical and narrative errors from the older movies. Again, no, it doesn't, uh, which the DCU has been trying to move away, away from, but should Warner brothers gauge this reception as an acceptable standard, all the progress could be walked back. Uh, and it says, here's the next uh, byline or subheader. Uh, Warner brothers can't go back to the early Snyder era. Why not? Uh, in the, in the Zack Snyder era, the film verse was wobbly, which is why mediocre content thereafter was heralded as a setup. Even wonder woman, 1984 is viewed as palatable despite all its mistakes and creepy Steve Trevor resurrection arc, because what came before was so bad. No, I don't agree with you at all. What came before was fucking amazing. Wonder woman, 1984 is bad. Who the hell's, well, I know who's writing this, but what, what the fuck is with these people moving on? But now with black Adam being seen as a moneymaker, DC movies with weird plot holes, Hawkman, not asking for Adam's help against Sabak, old characterizations or odd characterizations, Waller, not killing a human Adam and motivations as seen with a randomly existing intergang and that need to stick in a ton of fights style over substance may become the norm again. Oh, for fuck's sake. No, comic books are all about style over substance. See, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is because critics, movie critics, they critique movies. They don't understand what happens if you directly, directly translate something. And I am so fucking sick of people who fans, supposed fans who have bought into this dumbass, elitist critics, movie studio, you know, bullshit narrative that, well, some things don't translate well to film, but then, there, but then it's like, again, my answer is always the same. 
don't make the movie if it doesn't translate well to film. Don't fucking bother. It's okay if you want to change things up. It's all right if you want to do, you know, your little spin and your little interpretation, but then we don't have to like it. Here's the deal though. With Black Adam, as I've argued from the beginning, this is a movie that just took the comic book format of an actual comic book and put it on celluloid. That's what they did. You don't like that? You don't have to like that. But you also don't have to go and tell Warner Brothers, oh, no, 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 no fuck, no, no, don't do that. You got you to give us our, our proper narrative structure. We, we, we need our SVO patterns and our sentences. And what? Reading on. Given how often Black Adam has those slow-mo shots as well, it'll feel like going back to the early Snyder era. Oh, fucking hell. This is what I was saying. Remember my review? I said this was a movie. In fact, specifically the slow motion shot when Black Adam first appears and like, you know, all those tanks are shooting things and he's just moving in slow motion and like dodging bullets and all this shit. Like this, it's showing that he's a god. And that's what Zack Snyder understood that the rest of fucking Hollywood is too goddamn idiotic and moronic to understand that DC comics, you know, these characters were getting set up as ironically, as much as they could buck Greco-Roman storytelling structure, they are being set up as Greek gods. Like eventually that's what like Kirby and a whole bunch of other, you know, we're, we're, we're really going for here. I mean, we got to the point where we did comics called new gods. It's the point. Fuck. I'm sorry that you're such a depressed goddamn human being and you cannot deal with characters on screen that, you know, don't have fucking flaws. I like seeing aspirational characters on the screen, but anyway, let's keep going. That's not to say Snyder can't return and churn out something after recognizing his mistakes. Holy shit. <laughs> One mistakes. That's a matter of opinion as well as Joss Whedon's from Justice League. But right now, Black Adam is just papering cracks, bandaging old wounds, and applying a hopeful creative treatment rather than being an assured, decisive cure. Winging it like this shouldn't be a template for success nor a measuring stick the studio goes by, which may well become the case the more the box office hall grows. If so, the DCU could end up with the universe on par with Venom or even the old Transformers movies. Uh, weak stories that look good, which do run the risk of botching something Marvel Studios has nailed. Longevity and sustained creative success, even with its not so impressive properties rivalries and comparisons aside fans all want the dcu to win but black adam can lull warner brothers into a false sense of security due to the market the thirst for anything dc and admittedly marvel saturation coupled with an audience that's trying to move away from covid19 and back into theaters will result in folks flocking to a popcorn movie that's steeped in senseless violence and laughs but ultimately it's not the formula for a compelling nuanced superhero verse lost for words <laughs> who is this person that's just like oh you know like i mean it'd be one thing if he wrote this and you know this like the cine score whatever was you know 40 percent, and the the critic score was 40 percent. even though what do those numbers truly mean not much but or take them for what they are okay a little bit of a grain of salt on those It'd be one thing if it was that, 
in that, but it somehow it was still making money, right? Like then this argument would hold some water, but no, we have a lot of evidence online at least. And we have the ticket sales to back them up, to back up the, the, you know, those comments that people love this movie, including myself. And yet, you know, so, so, okay. So you got people that genuinely like it. That's why they're spending money on it. And yet you got this asshat, you know, at CBR.com saying, oh, but Warner brothers, just because people love this movie, don't think this is how you should make movies. What? (laughs) Again, who do movies get made for? Are the movies just supposed to get made for, for, you, you know, this slap nuts here? Or is it supposed to get made for people to watch and enjoy? I thought it was the latter. I, I don't know. A hot take that movies are made for people to watch and enjoy. Uh, but I, I, I fuck. I, I guess according to movie critics, we're wrong. No, they gatekeepers they're the gatekeepers it's so funny because these fucking critics are the people who call people like me or who call other people who demand you know like some some fealty with what gets made you know as in okay yeah fine you can make a movie about our favorite character you know our favorite characters or whatever about our comic book heroes or villains but we want you to pay some fealty to what came before we don't want you to rewrite it to to fit your modern sensibilities okay you know, like, and, and we get called gatekeepers for that. But then, <laughs> but then this person comes out and says, Hey, no, no, don't, don't listen to the fans. Listen to the critics. What, what the fuck? The world's upside down, man. Like if, if, if you wanted a clear fucking sign of just how screwed and screwed up the entertainment industry is here, it is. Here it is. You literally have the entertainment industry or, you know, the news part of the entertainment industry saying, don't listen to, again, this isn't just like a few people, you know, who are complaining about rise of Skywalker, even though I think there's more than a few people. This isn't just a, like, like a few, uh, 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 you know, bad actors, you know, malicious nut jobs who are, are being preposterously harsh to, and that's putting it mildly to Kelly Marie Tran or who are complaining about Ray Skywalker or something. No, no, you have the ticket sales. You, you can't argue with those. You got the box office numbers. You can't argue with those. People love this fucking movie. And they're saying as much. And you're telling them that they're wrong. Which is it? You know, like people complain, people rise of Skywalker does the money. And then, and people, after they see it, they're like, oh, that fucking sucked. And then you tell them they're wrong, but then they go to, they go to see a movie. It does, it does the money and they love it. And you're like, oh, well they're fucking wrong. Like people can't win. The movie going audience can't fucking win because it's not about making a movie that people enjoy. It's about making, I don't, I don't know. What is there some kind of, do you, do you, I mean, are you surprised Hollywood that people think there's some kind of odd agenda going on here? Or, I mean, it's multiple agendas, obviously, because Warner, you know, CBR is not on Warner Brothers take, clearly. Um, I don't get it. (laughs) This is the dumbest thing. What editor? I want to find out the name of the editor. Like, what moron allowed this to get published? Like, 
Did you read it at all? Are you saying, oh, that, well, this is what gets the clicks. This is what does. No, this is what kills your credibility completely. Man, unbelievable. So exactly what I read at, at, at the top, just they added on 800 words, uh, <laughs> is true. With critics panning Black Adam, but audiences adoring the film, Warner Brothers could be duped into thinking it's the formula to move forward. How, how dare Warner Brothers? Oh, oh, how dare Warner Brothers try and make a, make a buck? Ooh. Get them out there with the tin can. They're, they're hurting. <laughs> what the fuck? This, this is crazy. Don't, don't ever listen to critics. I mean, I'll just tell you how I feel about it. You know, like, I, I mean, I'm just a fan, just like everybody else, uh, you know, of this shit. I'm, I'm not a professional critic. I wouldn't want to be a professional critic. Never. Hot damn. Don't listen to these people. Don't listen to the fucking reviews. Man. I, I'm baffled. Anyway, that's it. We'll move on from that. I just, I saw the story got sent into me and I was just like, what the, what the hell am I reading? I... It, it, again, it's 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 bizarro land. That's that's all I can say. We'll be right back with more sovereign tech. Whew. Hey baby, I know, I know. You are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail. Okay, it's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Shall we play a game? Well, let us talk about video games, and we are actually going to talk about the game. When I say the game, I mean, you know, the original 86, 87 Super Mario Brothers. The game, right? I mean, that's the game that literally changed the world you know i mean do i consider it the greatest game ever no would i argue with somebody that says it no um but it is certainly like the game that everybody and their fucking mother you know has played uh it's the game come to find out we've been playing this damn thing all wrong (laughs) i couldn't believe i couldn't believe this i saw this and i don't know how i never heard of this i don't know how it never got published in nintendo power and it didn't Cause I read every, I've, I, well, later issues, like when you get into the N64 era, I didn't read every issue, but for a long time, I mean, and we're talking on the order of probably almost 10 years. Uh, I read basically every issue of Nintendo power cover to cover. Um, I mean, I was that dork sitting in high school, even, you know, in the late nineties reading Nintendo power still and damn right. I mean, you got some pretty kick-ass comics in it at that point. Uh, but anyway, So this, as far as I know, has never been announced anywhere until effectively now. Uh, And story coming from Lifehacker. Link is in the show notes. Here's the thing. So one of the reasons that this game is the game 
is because everybody can kind of play it now. Now, granted, Shigeru Miyamoto, like his design, his game design is brilliant. You know, the simplicity was phenomenal, right? Um, but part of the reason, like everybody knows this game and plays it so quickly, not just because of the intuitiveness of the controls, but the fact that so when you you start off with what three guys, you know, three three lives, and you get you can obviously get more or whatever, but to get to level eight, most people played the original Super Mario Brothers by, you know, you, you go through it linearly. Maybe when you get to World 2, you'll end up, uh, you know, you'll use a warp zone, right? Or should I say when you get to 1, 2, you know, you, you, you'll you use a warp zone. Not World 2, but World 1, Level 2. Uh, and, and then as you go on, you'll find other warp zones and you can skip ahead to whatever. And usually if you wanted to skip ahead and play certain levels, that's often what we do, unless we connected a game genie or something, right? But come to find out that, see, cause the thing was you, you know, if you got to say level seven, you know, or you got to world seven, level two. So you got to seven, two on Mario brothers. Um, and you died, you lost all your lives. You would start from world one level one you would start from one one and have to work your way all the way back now i mean i did this everybody i know did this and it's, again part of the reason everybody knows this game so well is because you had to play through it so many times just to try to get to the end to try to get to the last level and you know save the princess well come to find out let's say you're on world seven one you could you could actually you could die lose all your lives wait for the title screen to show back up and here's the rub if you held down the A button and then press start at the title screen, it would take you, as long as you didn't reset the cartridge, it would take you back to the, the world that you were last on. Now, if you died on 7-2, it would take you back to 7-1, but it would still take you back to world 7. Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, the less amount of time people would have played this game would be astronomical if we knew this, right? Because that's the thing. You kept having to like fight your way or, you know, well, bounce your way back, run your way back to level seven, level eight over and over and over again when you lost all your lives. But you could have just hit A (laughs) and start from the title screen and gone right back, at least to that world. Fuck. (laughs) This is insane. (laughs) God damn it. I mean, I'm surprised Nintendo didn't tell anybody, you know, <laughs> I mean, they couldn't have had the foresight to know that people would be that into this game. Um, but wow, to not find that out until over 30 years later, holy shit. And it's in everything. I tried it on the switch version. Um, I tried it on, I tried it on, uh, well, like even on emulators, varying emulators, by the way, like it's just it. No matter how you play this, even if you do like the Wii console version or virtual console version, which I tried that as well, it works beautifully. Nuts, just fucking fucking nuts. Anyway, that's it for talking about video games. <laughs> I don't know if your world has changed, but mine was. And at least now I don't have to play through all those worlds. Anyway, we'll be right back with more Sovereign Town. Woo! From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. 
Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. But you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com and the strange. Speaking of video games, uh, this is something I actually teased in the last episode. Of course, it's time for The Ancient and the Strange. And as I have been doing, uh, I have been reading the relevant uh, 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 pieces that I've written for the spirituality segment of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. Of course, go to sovereign.substack.com to get your hookup on that. And there is a free version, and that free version includes my spirituality segment, which uh, is, as best as I can tell, has been pretty popular. Uh, and, you know, I'm honored by that, you know, by the, the craziness that I lay out in it. It hasn't really turned anybody off yet. Um, but anyway, I had teased this last week that I wanted to talk about, and I think, well... To say that it fits in with any kind of theme in this episode, I wouldn't suggest that, but if there's ever a time to read this one, the time is here. And as we were just talking about video games, well, why don't we talk about video games a little bit more? And this is a piece about uh, spirituality and video games, as in how do video games fit into spirituality? Um, for somebody who is so hardcore, arguably, if, especially if you've been a patron and you listen to the Wednesday Q&As on both um, how do I square that circle? Well, I wrote this piece to do just that. Um, so anyway, I will get right into it. And this is from, I believe, issue uh, nine of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. Link is in the show notes, of course. Spirituality and video games. Spirituality and video games. There was a brief time where I was a pretty hardcore Christian. Read into that what you will, but I know, I know, it still surprises me to this day. I mention this because I remember asking a youth pastor at the time who I worked with and discussed video games a lot with a simple question. So, how do you justify playing video games when the New Testament unequivocally states that as Christians, we are to spread the truth of Christ nonstop? His answer? Well, he did give the disciples time to rest and sleep. While I appreciate his attempt and engagement with such a challenging figure as Dr. Sovereign, I personally, at the time and to this day, think that's a shitty answer. I'm 100% sure that Jesus would have flipped over the D&D board or the switch faster than the money tables at the temple. There are souls to save, Jesus would say. Who has time for a perverted blue hedgehog? Thou shalt not be a furry is somewhere in 2 Thessalonians, I'm sure. 
Fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon your ideological persuasion, I am not a Christian that has to deal with such trying modern matters. No, if a term were to get tacked onto my spirituality, I'm a Kabbalist, and the problem of playing video games isn't a problem at all. In fact, it's practice. What do I mean? Let's get into it, and it doesn't have to take long. Seeing is believing, the old adage goes, and it's a good one. It's a rally cry of the rational, the logical, the scientist, and I stand by it as well, because I consider myself to be all three. But as someone who also supports the non-rational, something far different from irrational, mind you, I equally stand by the phrase, feeling is believing. And this part, the emotional and sensual component, the realm of the sensualist and not the logician, is the part that often gets left out by those who consider themselves the heirs of Greek-slash-Western mental prowess. This is how you end up with a populace that is spiritually bankrupt, separating their spirit, mind, and body from each other as if they were parts you could just pull out in some life-size game of operation. Mind, spirit, body is one thing, not three separate things, and without feeling deeply, you cannot think clearly, and thus cannot or at least will struggle to, act efficaciously. So what does this have to do with video games? While feeling isn't the entirety of what gives you the ability to act, it is a part of the above mind-spirit-body equation that is the most quashed today with constant attention-stealing media surrounding you, doing its best to keep you from paying attention to the thing that truly matters in your life, you. Anything that enhances and brings to fore feelings for you, especially feelings or sensations that you previously thought impossible, is a wonderful thing. Because if feeling is believing, many of us can't actually do until we feel. Let me give you an example. Exercise. Most people will at some point in their lives think to themselves, you know, I think I'm going to hit the gym and try to get in shape, for whatever reason they may have. Two weeks later, or less, Usually, they'll stop exercising and write it off as a bad idea right up there with democracy, which, to be clear, is a horrible fucking idea. Why do they stop? Because they were doing it for the wrong reasons? No, let me assure you, there are little to no reasons that are wrong to work out for. Rather, the reason they stopped is they didn't feel the difference quickly enough and long-lasting enough. If they could go a couple of months, the instant that they go to pick up a can of beans or anything, and they feel that it is incredibly lighter than it was two months previous, they'll become hooked to that feeling of strength. I guarantee it. That person will become a gym rat for life after experiencing that sensation of personal power. It's addicting in all the beautiful ways, and you know what it's like to actually become more than you were just by putting in the proper effort. This is true for so many other things that we think impossible. They're only impossible because we've never felt or experienced what it is like to do that thing. This is the argument for playing video games, or at least one of them. Video games, more so than movies, TV, or music, give us the opportunity to interact, engage, and experience the art before us. When Mario does some insane leap, when you jump into the cockpit of a starfighter, or even when Tails flies around spinning his tails. Our mind-spirit-body registers that as an experience, and an experience becomes a possibility. While video games can certainly become a distraction in their own right from important and or beautiful matters that deserve our attention in this universe, and this is true of all media types, by the way, 
The ability to imprint into your very being the wild activities that a video game offers can lead to those very activities becoming a part of your future reality. It's not some supernatural law of attraction, thinking it into existence kind of thing. No, it's much simpler than that. It's simply that your body now has a frame of reference for the impossible no longer being so. Your being now has an idea of how to maybe do what you did in that video game. And that's how the once considered impossible becomes a part of our reality. No mysticism required. But if we were to get mystical, well, let's get saucy for a second. Since you've now thrown a million fireballs as an Italian plumber, can you suddenly start lobbing your own? Eh, again, it takes more than just feeling it, but I'll certainly be watching out for a burning bush when you're in town. P.S. The real reason to play video games? Because they're fucking fun, man. Game on! And that is from issue 9 of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. Uh... Might be some controversial statements in there, I know, but I stand by it. Uh, I mean, this has always been, you know, it used to be the reason, and, and this isn't exactly true anymore, but, you know, one of the things, like, I, I've said this about entertainment in general, like, I don't want to watch, if I just want to watch people today, you know, in the modern world doing whatever, then, you know, I'll go sit on the front porch, right? Like, when I sit down to watch a movie, play a video game or whatever I'm doing, a TV show, whatever, or a book, whatever it happens to be. I want something that seems impossible today, you know, to do right now or is impossible. I mean, there are things that I, I would argue, like, don't confuse me with what I was saying there. I do think there are things that are impossible. Okay. Um, but that said, <laughs> that might be a very short list, but uh, but that's the thing. Like I always wanted to, you know, to, to watch something that, that, that was inspirational, you know, or take in something that was inspirational. Or as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about black Adam, perhaps, you know, or like movies of that type, you know, something that was more aspirational. And for a long time, you know, my, my, my tastes in video games, you know, were very much about like the things that, that I couldn't do anywhere else. And the argument would be, it's like, well, why play, you know, a video game, like a football video game or a motocross video game or something when you can actually go and do that in real life. And that's a fair argument to bring up at times, no doubt about that. Um, but I've also learned to kind of appreciate video games beyond that. Also, you know, to where like I, so, and I've brought this up before, like Madden NFL 2003 and 2005, and even some of the ones from the nineties, like, or like tech mobile, if you want to go classic, like these games are amazing. Not because they're football, but because they are like a simulator of a very specific set of rules. Um, and, you know, you learn to see them in, in that way. Not only that, but one of the true powers of video games, which, you know, I've made the argument that video games are the greatest art form that mankind has ever devised. Now, why do I say that? Because it takes all the other art forms, puts them together, and not only puts them together, not only mashes them together, movies, music, all of it, but it allows you to take control of the narrative. What made video games so exciting to certain types of people, you know, in the 70s, the 80s, you know, and, and so on to some degree, uh, even though those kinds of things are changing. But what made them so exciting was that you didn't have to play by the rules. Like, you know, we were talking about Mario earlier. If you wanted to warp to level six, go ahead. 
You don't have to play it linearly, even if that's how, you know, Miyamoto-san designed it. Uh, if you don't want, you know, if, if you don't want to collect all the coins, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to do that, if you want to turn the game into something completely different, if you'd want to completely change the rules of what, you know, the developer had in mind for the goal of the game, you can do that. You can play the game and do whatever the fuck you want. In fact, a lot of games came out of like just little elements of one game that somebody thought was brilliant and like, wow, that whole inventory setup thing could, could be its own game. You know, like that happens so often. That's the beauty of video games is that you get to actually control the narrative flow, which far surpasses movies and basically just about any other art form other than, you know, yes, in your own head, you could kind of rewrite what's going on in the movie, you know, but, but you can do that with video games and, and very viscerally, and you can experience it more than it just being in your own head. You actually actively engage in that act. And that's the power of video games. Even video games that simulate real life, arguably, it gives you the chance to fuck with, you know, the narratives that are generally forced upon us. And that, I mean, video games are straight up anarchy, or at least they can be. Many of them are certainly the classics. So I will leave you with that. And uh, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Going to wrap this baby up in the ironically named, in this case, Climax. The most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack adventure Battlestar Galactica the golden stallion doing whatever he wants to do the climax you know speaking of divisive films um, it struck me actually this past weekend so Ellen and I have been, we've been doing the, uh, you know, I've been giving her the run through, uh, take that how you will. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've been running through, uh, Stargate SG one. Uh, it's, it's Ellen's first time. It's my sixth or seventh, uh, all told. And that includes, you know, all 10 seasons, five seasons of Atlantis, the movies, two seasons of universe and even Stargate infinity. Yes, I have that even on DVD. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> we've been going through that and we, you know, we, we haven't really gotten into, we haven't had the chance to watch a lot of movies, um, like we often do at home, partly because both of our schedules, you know, she being an engineer, me doing what I do, uh, both of our schedules have been absolutely insane, but we ended up having time to, uh, to catch a movie on Saturday night and Ellen in her wisdom, which is vast. She said, can we watch a star Trek movie? 
And I'm like, you know, yeah, do you even have to ask? <laughs> of course we can, you know, <laughs> so take your pick, any of them. And I mean that any of them. And that includes the JJ Abrams movie and even galaxy quest. I'll watch any of them. Uh, and she's like, I, I don't think we've watched nemesis. And I realized, yeah, I don't think she and I had ever watched star Trek nemesis together. Now this was uh, interesting and I didn't think about it at the time, but it had, it, it's the, it's coming up quickly in December on the 20th anniversary of uh the release of star trek nemesis and that's really hard to believe that it's been 20 years um now me telling you what we've been watching lately is actually going to have some bearing on what i want to talk about here this is a movie star trek nemesis not like i haven't watched it in a while i've actually watched it many 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 times um this is a movie that admittedly i have been on a bit of a roller coaster on uh over the past 20 years I remember when I saw it, it was the last movie that I saw before I went overseas when I was in the military. Um, and I remember walking away feeling oddly disappointed, which was new for me for a Star Trek movie. Like I'd never felt that before. Not that I'd seen that many Star Trek movies in theaters. Uh, I had seen generations, first contact and insurrection, but you know, seeing nemesis like yeah i i walked away with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth i was still hopeful and you know star trek enterprise was still on on tv so it's not like it was the only star trek there um but i think what happened was you know i wasn't like totally negative on it either and i was still like reading the books and the star trek titan books would come out as kind of sequels to it and those were actually really well done um but you know like I've reviewed this movie. This might be the most reviewed movie in Sovereign Tech history because I've talked about it multiple times. I talked about it years ago on a Sovereign Tech special. I talked about it also on a Patreon-only episode where I ranked all the Star Trek movies, and this was actually at the bottom of that list uh, of all the Star Trek movies. And... um. And I'm sure like, I, I know I reviewed it kind of individually as well, you know, at points. So like, and, and even Rob and I did a, uh, TIE fighter renegades where we talked about it, uh, again, when we were ranking the star Trek movies together. So I have talked about this movie a lot and honestly, like thinking back on it, every time I've reviewed it, I've had a different opinion of the film. And after watching this with Ellen, um, you know, this most recent time and with it being the 20th anniversary, I think it's worth, you know, bringing up again. I have a bit of a different take on the movie and it's, it falls, it's a different take because every time I've watched this movie, it seems to fall under a different, you know, context. And now the movie is in the context of two things. One is the shit show that is Star Trek Picard and even Die Hard fans who still for some reason like discovery and lower decks and all that other crap. I think even they recognize, yeah, star Trek Picard is a horrible show. Like I think everybody admits <laughs> the shit so bad. Um, anyway, so there's that, which changes the context of this film. Uh, and there's also the fact that, you know, Ellen and I haven't watched star Trek in a really long time. Um, like we've been watching SG one for a while before that we were watching Battlestar Galactica, you know, we we've just, we've been going through other shows. Uh, and so it was kind of a coming home in watching nemesis this time around. Uh, 
Um, and I got to say, like, I walk away from this viewing of the film this time. Uh, I love this movie more than I have ever. I think, uh, there's a, there's really a lot to appreciate in this movie. It's still flawed. There are still massive problems and I want to get the problems out of the way, but then I do want to talk about what's really, you know, what's really, really good about this movie. I would still, here's the funny part though. I would still rank this as like the worst Star Trek movie, but it's still Star Trek. So it's still fucking great. Um, but as far as compared to the others, it's at the end of the list. So problems with this movie. Uh, the biggest problem is the entire scene of the, the, the raping of, and in literal, uh, the raping of Deanna Troy, you know, even though it's done, uh, uh, you know, telepathically, psionically, it's still happening. Um, to say nothing of the fact that it's like a completely unnecessary and out of place scene. And I know why they did it and I'll talk about why, but it's a completely out of place scene. Uh, it's horrible. And I, I get that it was like kind of setting up. This isn't the only reason that they did this. I'll talk about more of that in a minute. They were setting it up so that you could understand how Troy could later on in the movie, basically do like a, a Ouija board trick on the tactical station on the bridge of the enterprise E with Worf, which was weird, you know, cause she had like that connection with the Riemann, uh, Viceroy played by Ron Perlman, by the way, I think everybody forgets that Ron Perlman and Tom Hardy are in this and they both do a fantastic job, uh, acting wise. I mean, Ron Perlman's, you know, brilliant, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so I know they were setting up for that, but, the thing is like, if that's all they were setting up for, it would have been fine. Here's the real problem with this scene. So like Troy is getting, you know, psionically raped and which, you know, since it's happening in the mind, it might as well, you know, it is, it is real in a telepathic sense. Okay. Um, because you know, Chinzan is taking the place of Riker's body and everything. I mean, it's, it's as real as it could be. She, she goes to, sick bay right and dr crusher says there's this and this wrong with her you know and all that and she's really shooken up as she should be it's rape and she's like sir i would like to request you know to be taken off duty you know she says that to picard and picard says permission denied and i was like what <laughs> it's not even funny like what what do you mean you had a crew member. I don't care how necessary you had a crew member just get raped and you're telling her she can't go off duty. What the fuck? I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a total black mark on this movie. Like it's so, it's so bad. <laughs> like it really hurts. I mean, it hurts the whole franchise, frankly, but like, I mean, let, let's be, let's be clear here. You know, everybody calls bull or, or gives shit to the original series, especially the last episode of the original series, Turnabout Intruder, when, you know, like it said that women are not allowed to reach the rank of captain. That's that's bad. I make no excuses for it. That's that's dumb and it's bad. I think this is 10x worse. Like anybody want like like the. the <laughs> 
I mean, th- this hurts the entire like like feminist, you know, like like pro feminist argument that people make for the next generation. Like this hurts it really, really bad. I don't know who let that through. Horrible writing that just that did not get thought out uh and not that's and and look star trek has had other moments that are pretty bad like and i've talked about this there's an episode of star trek voyager where seven of nine something kind of similar occurs you know kind of a, a telepathic affair um and like they used it in the advertising to say like over and over again he violated me and we thought we were going to watch an episode of star trek voyager where seven of nine got raped now that in of itself, like, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't need to see that. Not that that doesn't have to be discussed because it's a thing that happens and it's real and it's important to talk about. Okay. But, and, and that's the thing, like, just don't, don't use this shit as marketing. Okay. Because that's what it is. And look, here, here's the deal. Like with Star Trek Nemesis, they had the writers, dire- the director, Stuart Baird, which is the other problem that I'm going to talk about in a second. They had the running orders, the marching orders that you need to, or at the very least they had the idea and they were running with it, that we want to make a darker Star Trek. Now I, you know, at face value, like, I don't have a problem with that. Like I actually think I thought, you know, that that was cool. I remember seeing the trailer, watching it on my iMac, uh, when this movie was originally coming out, you know, seeing that and like, wow, this is going to be really different Star Trek. This looks really, really cool. You know, and you're seeing everything with the Argo and all that. And, uh, you know, like that, that that's exciting, right? Like I get that, but this was a direction. I get it that they wanted to make things different, but this is not, this is not a way that you had to go. You didn't have to do all these like extremes and differences for Star Trek all at once in one movie. There was no need for that. Okay. I don't mind Star Trek talking about rape, but talk about it and do it in a fucking respectful way. Unlike Picard did in this movie. Uh, I mean that, and especially for Patrick, like Patrick Stewart could call his shot at that time. He should have come out. Really. He should have come out and said, I am not going to say that line. Forget you, you know, but anyway, uh, I'm sure that it came down to the director. And really that's the biggest problem is that Stuart Baird doesn't really understand these characters. It's abundantly clear. People have brought this critique up many times against the film that this was a director who had no experience with Star Trek or, particularly the Star Trek, you know, Star Trek, the next generation crew. And it shows like things are just a little off a lot of times, uh, in, in this movie, even though the story overall in the abstract, uh, is certainly a very interesting one. Plenty of plot holes to be had there. I can overlook those because every movie has plenty of plot. Pretty much every movie has plenty of plot holes. Um, anyway, those two Stuart Baird's direction was a failure. Um, something I, now here's, here's where we twist into the good because something that I used to hold as a negative for the film is that it's completely rehashing Star Trek two. But what I realized in watching the movie this time around, and I don't know why it never, it didn't really click for me before, but very much the movie is trying to wrap up the previous nine films not just the previous, not just the next generation, but even the original series or, you know, the original series films. Um, there are a lot of direct musical cues as in music, never used in any other piece of star Trek history other than star Trek, the motion picture that come from star Trek, the motion picture that are in star Trek nemesis, even visual cues of the enterprise and dry dock and more are clearly pulling from star Trek, the motion picture, uh, the plot line of data and Picard's friendship, which in general, I always thought was kind of crappy. It's like, no Riker and Picard have that kind of friendship data and Picard do not. 
that doesn't make any sense. Um, but whatever, they were pulling a Kirk Spock, Star Trek two Spock's going to die, you know, in this case it's data or whatever. And I understand that, but they do so much more. The Romulan ale jokes are straight out of Star Trek six. There are consistent fan service Easter egg references throughout this movie that really bring the whole thing together. I mean, amazingly, there's even a point where they, uh, when they're battling, uh, the scimitar, you know, Shinzon, uh, in the, the end you know, starship battle where Riker says, you know, uh, uh, initiate uh, defensive protocol, Kirk Epsilon. Like they reference Kirk straight up. Um, so I see what this movie, partly what they are trying to do is make it a swan song for every Star Trek movie that came before. Um, I'm not going to say it executed it perfectly, but I get what they were going for. I, I still think that the, 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 uh, really plagiarism, uh, the theft, dare I say, of the plot for start of the, of the, the high notes of star Trek two is still a little overboard. I mean, even the revenge, like kind of like Shinzon's revenge, uh, fantasy is so similar to Khan's in star Trek two. Uh, again, it, it, it takes, it's a little overboard but I get what they were trying to do and I can applaud that. And really again, like so many weird little references in the film, um, though, you know, this is another area where I thought Picard was incredibly insensitive to put it lightly where Worf is protesting, uh, you know, to, he's like, yeah, I'm not going cause you know, uh, uh Riker and Troy are getting married and they're going to do a beta Z marriage. And we all know from, you know, season one of star Trek, the next generation, we know what a beta Z marriage looks like. Everybody's naked. And Worf says, I'm attending, but I'm not going to go naked. And then Picard says, everyone will show up naked. That's an order. And it's like, wait, what? Like you're, you're literally ordering like in Starfleet, you can order people to be fucking nude to expose themselves no (laughs) that's so anti star trek you know yes star trek is incredibly sexually progressive as a show um and if gene roddenberry had his way i'm sure he would have had the whole crew walking around naked all the time and it would have just been seen as like you know socially acceptable and all this but that's wholly different than picard ordering a crew member to show up naked somewhere like what the fuck throw down your badge wharf and walk away and join the Klingon empire. They seem to have more ethics than Starfleet does in that instance, as well as later on when, you know, a decorated crew member, not that they had to be decorated to be respected and have dignity are told they have to keep, uh, you know, stay on the bridge, even though they just got raped. Crazy. Anyway, I, sorry, I don't want to concentrate on the negatives here because again, overall, I really do like a lot of what they were doing um, with this film. And as Ellen like really well pointed out, this is about Picard, you know, like dealing and getting past his younger self, you know, and, and, and the whole movie, because you have to understand and, you know, you have to be a nut job like me about Star Trek, where like you read every interview at the time, this is, you know, before the internet was where people posted these sorts of things. So you had to read in TV guide or star log or wherever. Um, the, the writers for this film made it very clear that 
if it did really well, that if, if Nemesis did really well, they were going to take Star Trek in a new direction and they were going to do some really exciting things with Star Trek. The suggestion, I think, was that maybe they were going to do another TV series. I think that's what they were pointing at and not crazy that that interview was in an issue of TV Guide. Um, and, you know, if that's where they were going to go, then, you know, you can see Nemesis as being a rebirth really for the entire crew. You know, like this is them getting past all a lot of their traumas. I mean, even Riker and Troy getting married is them getting past their past. Uh, and, and I think there's a very beautiful message, you know, in that, uh, you know, where Picard can, again, you know, he's the mirror for Shinzon. Shinzon was the mirror for him. And, you know, like seeing the darker side of yourself and being able to get past that, uh, you know, I mean, that, that can be pretty powerful stuff. And again, you've got to see the movie in that lens and have more of that context. And, you know, here's the other thing. I mean, part of, you know, that, that I admitted earlier with context, like compared to Star Trek Picard, you know, the show, like this movie's a fucking masterpiece. This movie is Citizen Kane compared to that. Uh, also, admittedly, you know, when you Star Trek is just entertainment at its best, it's infotainment, frankly, at its best. Um, and when you've been away from it for a little while, like Ellen and I were, uh, and you come back to it, even when it's something like Star Trek nemesis, you're just like, ah, home, you know? And you're like, ah, yes, this, this is how it's done. You know, (laughs) not, not, I'm not throwing any shade at Stargate. Um, but yeah, you know, it's Star Trek and you feel it. And so watching it this time around, you know, really felt good. And maybe it's just the barrage not just, you know, not just because we haven't watched Star Trek in a while, but just the barrage of shitty entertainment in general. Not to say there aren't good shows out there. Andor is fucking great. You know, there's stuff out there that's being made right now that's awesome. Okay, but by and large, it's crap. Uh, you know, when you sit down and watch Star Trek, even if it's what you could argue would be mediocre Star Trek, it's so far above and beyond anything else being made. You know, you just can't help but love it. Um. And so, you know, I want to be cognizant of that context, uh, but man, you know, there's, there's so many, we're, we're going into overtime. There's so many other things that I could say about this movie, but really it would be more complaining about Star Trek Picard. And do you really need anyone else on the internet to do that? There's already so many, even hardcore modern Star Trek fans are still ripping on that shit. And thanks Satan for that. Um, but anyway, there's a lot to love in this movie. And again, I mean, just even all the Easter eggs alone are really worth it. And I want to, except for Worf, I want to give the writers credit for giving most of the characters, including Troy, who often gets left out some really cool shit to do, you know, and some really great moments, you know, some kick-ass moments. I mean, Riker even gets, you know, a, a, a nice battle scene in, really huge Jeffrey's tubes. It looks like <laughs> for the enterprise. E. Uh, I mean, you get all that. Uh, of course we all would have loved to have heard more from Wesley. We didn't get that. And that's another thing too. see. And th- this is one of my negatives and I still feel this way. Let me be clear on this. Start star Trek should have stopped with insurrection. Insurrection is star Trek coming full circle where you realize because of like the Baku and whatever, you know, with, with Star Trek Insurrection, with that film, you realize that, 
You don't need all of that technology to enjoy life. You don't need all the technology. You know, you don't need to, you don't even need to travel among the stars to find the entire universe that exists within a single moment in time. I really, really think that insurrection was again, was Star Trek coming full circle and getting to much of what I think Gene Roddenberry really wanted to get to, you know, he was all about humanity becoming gods. And, you know, I applaud what he was trying to put out there. Uh, and I think that insurrection kind of hit those notes. Um, now we could also say that Star Trek should have stopped with all good things, or at least Star Trek, the next generation should have stopped with, with the last episode of season seven, you know, the series closer, that being all good things. I'm open to that argument as well, but nemesis really feels like a beginning into something that we never got. And it doesn't feel like a very good ending as to where insurrection feels like an amazing ending, but if you can appreciate nemesis for the beginning that it was trying new beginning that it was trying to be much like star Trek, the motion picture was a new beginning. Uh, and it really was for star Trek. Um, then you can see it in a new light and really learn to appreciate that movie. And I certainly have a very new appreciation for the film. And again, like I said, feel very positive about it much more than I ever have since it came out 20 years ago. So if you haven't watched in a while, give it another shot. And, you know, with what I talked about in mind and let, you can let me know what you think of it, especially if you're in the Sovereign Tech Patreon only discord, um, or any other ways that are available to reach out to me. And we will wrap up this episode of Sovereign Tech with that. And I will see all of you on the other side.